0: You're listening to a Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast.
1: Hi, my name's Sarah Temby and I'm an Education Fellow in the RCH Education Hub. Today I have Angela McElroy, who is an audiologist at the Royal Children's Hospital and she's been working in this area for 15 years. Today we'll be discussing what an audiologist actually does and their role in paediatric healthcare. Welcome, Angela. Thanks, Sarah. I'm thrilled to be here today. So let's start with what an audiologist does. So most people
0: suspect it has something to do with hearing. If they have grandparents with hearing aids, often they might suspect that it's somebody that just fits hearing aids. Mm -hmm. But I often describe it to people like an optometrist and I think most people have had an eye test so they know what that is. I think it's probably one of the lesser known allied health professions because hearing loss itself is quite hidden so people can walk around with a hearing loss and act normally. Mm. And so until you actually need an audiologist, I think often you have probably never heard of one
1: before. Yeah, that's very true. And do audiologists just test hearing? So there's lots of different types of roles that audiologists can have. At RCH, our role
0: is purely diagnostic. So testing kids from just newborns up until 18ish and then um, but rehabilitation audiologists do hearing aid fittings um, be involved with programming cochlear implants and working ongoing with people to optimize amplification devices they're like little tiny computers so they're full of different types of programs and different program options they've got great processing and so that's like an they, they work with them ongoing just to, as, their, as their needs change, then the devices can change as well. Mm-hmm. So vestibular testing is also something that an audiologist might do. So testing for balance disorders. So even though the vestibular system doesn't usually affect hearing, they, it lives in the inner ear. Uh-huh. And so that way, they can they can kind of be related like that. So treatment for disorders of the vestibular system can be collaborative. So with physiotherapists or optometrists as well. So I think there can be also some confusion about different types of hearing loss that we test for. So there's three different parts of the ear. So the outer ear, which we can see, the middle ear, which is made up of just um, like an air filled. Pocket that's got three little bones that move, and then the inner ear, which is the auditory nerve. And so when children come and see us, we test both their middle ear function and their auditory nerve. So if there's a problem detected in the middle ear, which is the air fill pocket, it's generally temporary and it resolves by itself and or with medical or surgical intervention, so in the form of grommets or that they pop in with a, um operation. Mm-hmm. But if there's a problem with the inner ear, then the hearing loss is permanent and most of the time will need some kind of amplification like a hearing aid or a cochlear implant.
1: And can you explain a little bit more about an audiologist's role in the diagnostic aspect of a hearing test? So, yeah, so the aim of paediatric testing is really to determine
0: hearing thresholds at different pitches across the speech frequency, range through different types of play. So we want all the kids to be able to hear all the keys on a piano. Mm. So we use different types of testing for different developmental levels. So children who are typically developing, we would watch their response to different frequencies and intensities. So the frequency is the pitch and the intensity is the volume. And then we reward them with interactive images or dancing puppets Mm -hmm. and encourage them to keep responding. So it's a real conditioned response. Mm. And then usually that's usually until about two and a half and then we play different types of games where they can physically respond to sound themselves. So that gets them much more involved in the test as well and much more motivated. Mm. And so that could be through puzzles and pegboards and marble runs and things like that. And then children who can't be tested behaviourally, so we can't watch their response to sound, um, we use objective assessments. So this is you know, infants that are under eight and a half months-ish and children that might have significant developmental delays or behaviour challenges, but could also be kids that are just anxious to have a test or to be a bit shy around us and have trouble showing us that they can hear the sound. Mm. So it's really good that we have different options to use. Mm. So we can detect cochlear function through otoacoustic emission testing for children who are awake and then auditory brainstem response testing as well, which is good. So that involves their child being asleep and we just pop little electrodes on their forehead and behind their ears and then we record their response to um, the auditory nerve, which sounds a bit scary, but it's not really.
1: Mm, that's fascinating. All right. Now, apart from being a mouthful to say, let's see if I can do it, What is auto-acoustic emission testing? That was
0: perfect. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) So the cochlea has tiny little hair cells that move in response to sound. So when they move, they're really transforming mechanical energy of sound waves into electrical energy for auditory nerve stimulation. So as it does that, they create an emission, so like a little puff from the cochlea, and we can record that with real fancy equipment. Um, And it also this lets us know that the cochlea is functioning Mm-hmm. So, children that have hearing loss don't have these emissions, and their presence or absence can really support more specific diagnosis of hearing loss for kind of more complex types of hearing loss. But they can also be used to monitor hearing in children who are taking ototoxic medication because the cells that the emissions are from are real sensitive to the type of medication.
1: Mm-hmm. So, it's a real, it can act as warnings that they're going to potentially have a hearing loss in the future. Oh, that's really interesting. And what is an example of an autotoxic medication? So most often they're quite, it's quite a strong medication and often life-saving. So it could
0: be things like um, cisplatin, which is the type of chemotherapy. And also children that have cystic fibrosis also take a medication that can, can damage their ears too.
1: Right, yep. And on a previous podcast episode, we heard about a hearing test being part of a developmental assessment. So further to that, how does hearing relate to speech development? That's a really good question and I think it really goes hand in hand. So language acquisition
0: occurs through social communication and children learn about all different types of the language. So spoken like we're doing now and things like Auslan um, before they can talk or sign by listening and overhearing and watching communication. So I think they're like little sponges just running around. Yep. And so even if they're you know at the park or they're eating dinner or they're you know watching TV, they're constantly learning about language and, and all the those different cues Mm. and so if they're not able to hear the sound so not hear it clearly enough then they won't be able to say the sound Mm. which has a direct link with their overall language development so even kids that have normal hearing so normal hearing from birth and you know, know we know that they've developed language can have fluctuating hearing from ear infections and that's really common and so in younger children, I think it's something like 35% will have an ear infection at some stage before they start school. Oh, really? But also kids have, we see children in different populations that are much more prone to have middle ear problems. So that might be Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander families or kids with cleft palates or Down syndrome. And so if left untreated, they can have really negative effects for school, for learning, and also poorer attention and and trouble listening and I think that there's also a distinction between listening and hearing as well. So kids that don't hear properly never really learn to listen. So even when their their hearing has resolved, they might get labelled as being like have really poor attention or or have trouble at school.
1: Mm. All right, and how do you encourage children to participate in the hearing test? So most of the time it's
0: developing just positive relationships with the child and the family and just modeling what we have to do. And I think once they feel safe and confident, kids are really happy to participate and they and they really wanna do well. And it's fun and it's quick. So mm. for for kids, you know, that if we're not doing an objective assessment, it takes about 20 minutes. So it's lots of fun and, and it's short enough that um,
1: they don't get too bored, hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Make sure your games are good. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or change them often. Yeah. (laughs) Are there any other roles or areas that audiologists are involved in? Uh, Yeah, so uh, particularly at RCH, I think that we have
0: quite a big counselling component, but I think most of allied health do. We do quite a big chunk of our clinic is with newly diagnosed hearing loss. So whether it's acquired from known sources in older children, so they might have things like head injuries, medication meningitis, that might cause a hearing loss or congestion losses. So we assess babies who have been referred through the Victorian Infant Hearing Screening Program, mm-hmm. and this is a screen that's offered to every baby born in Victoria in their first few days of life. So a significant amount of these referred babies have permanent hearing loss, and so we need to be able to deliver information and to the families and guide them through the initial stages of the processes of intervention, and we need to know, you know, have give them the correct information to have informed decisions. Mm-hmm. These babies are really well supported through counsellors linked with the program and hearing loss is really, really well supported in Australia. I think we're really lucky and the majority of kids with hearing loss or permanent hearing loss live completely normal lives with the aid of hearing devices. So just like kids wearing glasses, really, they Mm. just do as well. Yeah, so I think it's if we can build positive relationships with all children, then we can have successful testing as well. Mm. Audiologists that work with hearing devices in rehabilitation, they really know much more about how children with permanent hearing loss adapt to different types of sound. So my colleagues at Hearing Australia, which is an organisation that fits hearing aids to um, children under 18, they're all government funded, so there's no charge for hearing services for children in Australia. Right it's really good they told me that the technology in devices is so good now and it's constantly advancing that it's really rare for a child to reject a hearing loss based on sound so Mm. it's more the physical feeling of it so whether it's being on their head or they just don't like like that feeling but most of the time they adapt quite quickly once they can see that it's it's benefiting them and also that they can communicate better
1: yeah so should all kids have a hearing test I think so, but I think I'm biased as (laughs) well as an audiologist. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But I I think that, you know, I think it's so
0: closely related to literacy development, to communication. I think if kids can't hear properly, they're going to miss out on, you know, developing good friendships with people just from missing those social cues. I I think it's really important. And I think that if there's any concern about how children respond at home, if there's concern about speech and language development, or if they've had lots of ear infections I think it's really important to make sure that they can hear optimally
1: yeah well thank you so much Angela so what are your three key take-home messages Audiologists
0: test hearing using so many different techniques to ensure hearing is okay for communication. So there's a test for everyone at every age. And I think that, you know, it doesn't matter how old the child is, if they're from an infant to, you know, 18 plus, there's something that we can do to to detect and and determine what the hearing is like. Mm -hmm. I think if there's any concern about a child's hearing, get it checked. I think not only can it contribute to, you know, like we said about, you know, reduced social communication and but it can also affect mental health and confidence and education and behavior
1: so hearing testing is just like playing a game but it's fun yeah great well thank you so much Angela for talking today about your experiences as an audiologist in particular in pediatric healthcare. that was great thank you so much Sarah
0: thanks for listening please view the description section below for more information on this topic The Education Hub is a collaboration between the Royal Children's Hospital and the University of Melbourne Department of Paediatrics and funded by the RCH Foundation.